Hello folks, welcome to the fellowship. Uh, it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, so we're going to be back in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, I think when I set out to preach through Philippians, I thought this will get us through the summer. And it's the middle of July, we're still in the first chapter, so... Uh, a little bit more intensive uh, study through the book than maybe I, you know, initially anticipated, but I think it's good. Uh, it's been very edifying and encouraging for me. Um, I hope it's been the same for you as well. Um, to kind of set up the message this morning, um, imagine, if you will, um, I told Caro that I wanted to take her out. I wanted, I wanted to, you know. I just said, Caro, this Saturday night, we're going to go out to eat, um, you know, get dressed up, plan for that. I got us a babysitter. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go have a date night, and it's going to be a good time for us. And uh, imagine her response being, well, you selfish little so-and-so, right? You only want to go spend time with me because you enjoy that. And it's all about you. No woman in her, you know, no wife. Carol certainly wouldn't ever have that response to me wanting to take my wife out and spend time with her because she would want to spend time with me as well. You know, that's just our relationship. And, uh, you know, it, she's not going to look at that as a selfish thing on my part for me to want to do that, even though it is a selfish thing that I, I get joy and I get things out of that. And so... Um, you know, she's not going to look at it as a selfish thing, even even if it is a selfish thing. You know, me pursuing her with all that I am and getting joy and pleasure out of that isn't isn't a bad thing at all, right? And so, um, think about that as we as we get into this. We'll kind of come back to that again later, but uh, we're gonna. You know, we we covered through verse eighteen last week, uh, but the middle of verse eighteen is a new paragraph, and so. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna cover eighteen again. We're gonna go through. So we're gonna read uh, Philippians one eighteen through twenty six this morning. So let's read. It says, "What is the what is the result? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being Christ is being proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus or the Spirit of Jesus Christ." My confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but with complete boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean productive work for me, yet I don't know which I prefer. I feel torn between the two, because I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more vital for your sake that I remain in the body. And since I'm sure of this, I know I will remain and continue with all of you for the sake of your progress and joy in the faith, so that what you can be proud of may increase because of me in Christ Jesus when I come back to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this text specifically kind of the, the culmination of the book of Philippians um, in this text. And uh, we thank you so much for the outlook that Paul gives us here. And I pray that you, as 
Aaron prayed earlier for us that you will uh, prepare our, our minds and hearts to receive this message. Help us to, um, to not just receive it, but to take it and to be changed people because of this. I pray that you will always help us to be people that adjust our lives according to Scripture and not people that try to adjust Scripture according to how we think life should be. And so help us with that even now as we get into this text. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, so Paul is, you know, verse 18 ends um, what he was previously talking about last week's sermon. Uh, he is he's dealing with you know these some of these people that are preaching they're they're getting bold and preaching um, some of them are preaching from wrong wrong motives some of them are preaching um, out of envy maybe they did disliked Paul or they were jealous of Paul or whatever it was uh, and that was their motive for preaching they weren't preaching a false gospel but they were preaching a true gospel with the wrong motives with with false motives and so Paul's Paul's outlook on that is like you know, what's the result of this? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed. Um, and he says, in this I rejoice. So he is being joyful in that, you know, Christ is being preached. It's it, If it was a false gospel, we said this last week, if it was a false gospel, he would have written a letter like he wrote to Galatians, where that was a church that had people that were false teachers creeping into the church. And so he would have written a letter like that. But this was not a false gospel, just people with the wrong motives. So he is rejoicing because... He knows it's not about him. He's, it's not about his glory, but it's about Christ being glorified. And so he is rejoicing in that. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Um, this is verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So uh, the first word we want to hone in on here is deliverance. Um, deliverance is in the Greek, it's the word soteria. It's where we get our, the term soteriology from. Um, and in other, in other texts, other passages where this word is used, it's translated as salvation. So deliverance or salvation. Um, soteriology is the study of salvation. And uh, I don't know if you remember, a few weeks ago we talked about the ordo salutis, um, the order of salvation, about how all the different elements of salvation happen and everything. Um, and so that would all fall under soteriology. Um, but specifically here, what is Paul saying this is going to turn out for his deliverance. You know, he's going to continue to rejoice for he knows this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the spirit of Jesus Christ. Um, there's a couple different ways we can look at this. One, a more imminent, probably physical way to interpret this is Paul's deliverance from prison. He wants to be saved from prison. He wants to be delivered from prison. So his release. And, um, you know, so Paul... We know this is Paul's imprisonment in Rome that that talks about at the very end of Acts. Now, Acts doesn't, you know, it's not a, a full, doesn't give a full account of everything that happened with all the apostles, but it's some of that. Um, most scholars, and I probably lean in this, believe that uh, Paul was was released from prison, and at you know, Acts doesn't cover that, but he was released from prison. There's a lot of evidences for that. Partly the pastoral epistles that he writes to Timothy and Titus; um, those are those include him talking about having gone back to Philippians and, and other things. But also, um, you know, so it could be his deliverance from prison. Um, 
probably more so based on this text, it's his, and I don't think this is an either or on this, in this, I guess, interpretation here. Uh, but I think based on this text, it's more so about Paul's ultimate, ultimate salvation. So Paul is obviously saved, uh, but he's not been glorified yet in that ordo salutis of the order of salvation. The final step of all of our salvation is it culminates in heaven. When we go to heaven and we experience glorification, we given we're we're given a new body and everything else, and you know we're in, we're in heaven with Jesus. Um, so I think that's probably more what he's talking about here in this idea of his deliverance. It's going to turn out for his deliverance, um, his ultimate salvation, and the way it's happening is through prayers and. Not just their prayers, but through their prayers and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, you know, Paul is, uh, when he's talking here about his deliverance through their prayers and the help of the Spirit, he's actually quoting directly from uh, the book of Job, but it's not maybe our book of Job. Our book of Job is Hebrews that, or sorry, the Hebrew language translated into English, but the because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The Old Testament Greek translation, so back in his day when they would have translated the Hebrew text into Greek, that's called the Septuagint. Okay, So the Greek translation of the Old Testament is the Septuagint. And he's quoting the Septuagint version of Job here. It's Job 13, uh, parts of verse 15 and 16. It says, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. Yes, this will this will result in my deliverance. So he's saying, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. Yes, this will result in my deliverance. So Paul Paul knows that his deliverance will be you know part you know, come about because of God and the help of from their prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. I think it's important to note that Paul is quoting Job here because he's thinking about this suffering that he's experiencing and likening it to the suffering that Job experienced, right? So Job suffered beyond what any human should be able to bear. Um, if you look at through the book of Job, you have the first couple chapters and it tells a story about you get this picture into heaven of what's going on in heaven. So you have, it says, you know, God met with these other angels and they discussed and then Satan came and he said, the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? And he's, he's like, he's an upright man and you know, never sinned. And Satan is like, yeah, but he's got a great life. You know, he's got great kids that, you know, come together and enjoy meals in each other's homes. And they're, you know, you're all, Job's always offering sacrifices to you on behalf of his kids and all these kinds of things. He's got no troubles in his life. Of course, he's going to praise you. And he's like, well, what do you think we should do? He's like, well, let me, let me cause some trouble in Job's life. And so the Lord said, okay, do that, but you know, don't kill anybody. So Satan goes, and Job is eating with his family, and servants start coming and telling him about how his oxen died and his cattle died and you know, all these other things that he has have died. And Job is like, that's terrible. That's really unfortunate. Praise God. You know, we're, we're all saved. Praise God. And then you get a picture back into heaven with Satan and God and, and all the people to, meeting together. 
And Satan's like, well, of course, you know, he's still going to praise you. You took away his physical stuff, but you haven't really made him suffer much. And so his kids start dying. You know, God said you can um, hurt Job, even cause him physical pain, but spare his life. And so Satan goes and he starts, you know, Job's kids are dying. All his property is falling apart. Literally, his kids are eating together, and the house collapses on them, and they die. And then um, Job starts getting boils all over his body, and it's just terrible stuff. And so everything is taken from Job um, except for his nagging wife. Um, And she's there, and she's like, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job says, and we sang the song this morning, he said, you know, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so in all this, Job doesn't sin. And he goes and he's sitting in a heap of ashes and he puts sackcloth like a burlap sack or like a coffee bag or potato sack, whatever you want to call it. He puts that on and it's this this idea of he's repenting is what he's doing here. And he's just sitting there. And his friends come, Bildad the Shuhat, Eliphaz the Temanite and Zophar the Namathite they come and they hang out with him and for like seven days they just sit with him which that seems like pretty good friends like I I don't know if that I'm friends with anybody that I would be willing to go and just sit in silence with somebody for a week but they do that and then they start talking so from like chapter 3 through most of the book you have Job talking with his friends and they're offering advice like maybe you should do this maybe you should do that and they're it's not necessarily great advice it's not it's not like they're giving him terrible terrible advice but they're not getting to the root of the issue and so a lot of the book of Job is just him having this discussion with his friends and them offering you know suggestions and things and Job doesn't want to Job's like no I don't think that's the issue I don't think that's the issue here and so it goes back and forth back and forth until finally, it uh, culminates with God questioning Job. He tells him, gird up yourself. I'm going to question you like a man, and you'll answer me. And he starts putting Job in perspective. Like, were you there when I formed the foundations of the earth? Do you know what, what attaches the heavens to the earth? Do you know what makes the water held in from just going everywhere? And just questioning questions that Job can't answer these answers to and so um, eventually he breaks down God breaks down Job enough to where it gets to chapter 42 and um, verses 1 through 6 say this it says that Job answered the Lord I know that you can do all things no purpose of yours can be thwarted you asked who is this who darkens counsel without knowledge but I've declared without understanding things too wonderful for me to know you said pay attention and I will speak I will question you and you will answer me. And then Job finally, after 42 chapters of being tormented, gets to this where he finally comes to a true place of repentance. He says, verse 5 and 6, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Now my eye has seen you. Therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. So whenever Job finally gets a picture of who God is and his perfect glory, that leads to his repentance. Um, a way I've heard this put was that uh, true, uh, you know, truth leads to repentance. When we are 
have a true picture of who God is that leads to true repentance. And then at, right after this, it's verse 7 through 10 that Aaron read, after the Lord had spoken these things to Job, he said to Job's friends that his anger is stirred up against them because they were offering bad advice to Job. And so he said, my, my anger is stirred up against you um, because you have not spoken about me what is right as my servant Job has. Now take the seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves and my servant Job will intercede for you and I will respect him so that I do not deal with you according to your folly because you have not spoken about me what is right as my servant Job has. So Job's friends uh, did just as the Lord told them and the Lord had respected Job. And then after this, the Lord restored everything to Job that he had lost. And the rest of this chapter, which is the, the last chapter of Job, just goes through talking about everything that was restored to Job, even double what he initially had. So he's, all his oxen and sheep and camels and everything else um, is, is, is extra. And it talks about his daughters being um, nowhere in the land could women be found who were as beautiful as Job's daughters. Um, and it says, and their father granted them inheritance alongside their brothers, which is a very unique thing. But the uh, the interesting thing here is the Lord was prepared to deal with Job's friends accordingly, according to them not speaking rightly about God um, to Job and offering bad advice. Uh, but it says God respected Job. And so because he respected Job, he says, if you go to Job with this offering, and if Job will pray for you, I will respect his prayer. So he enters, Job intercedes on behalf of his friends. He has, this, he has this intercessory prayer on behalf of his friends. So uh, intercessory prayer is really something beyond our understanding fully. Like, how does that work? How does God change, this immutable, unchangeable God change based on our prayers? Uh, but we know from Scripture um, there's there's some things about prayer that you know, should be concerning to us. One, God's provision is related to our prayers. God answers prayers. God answers our prayers, and our prayers matter. Uh, James 5.16 says, So confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. Um, the New King James Version ends that verse with the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Um, I think the King James is effectual prayer, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And always, that's probably how I memorized that verse back in the day. Um, but prayer of a righteous man has great effectiveness. It avails much. And so um, our prayers matter. We should not take prayer lightly. Prayer should be something we are about constantly. And then two, another point we should be concerned with is that um, you know Paul, in the midst of his suffering, is meditating on Scripture. So he is basically referring to Scripture in the middle of this, talking about the Philippians' prayer for Paul. So he's, he's quoting Job, he's, he's meditating on Scripture in the middle of his suffering, how much more so should we dig deep into Scripture and really saturate ourselves in Scripture and meditate on Scripture regularly? Um, I had a friend, uh, some friends of mine, uh, had had a miscarriage uh, a few months ago. They it was their first, going to be their first, 
and she ended up miscarrying. And it was just a hard thing. And how do you, what do you do? You know, you can pray for them and everything, but what can you say to bring them comfort, you know? And so, um, and, I, and I was completely at a loss for words. It was very, you know, I, my heart hurt for them um, greatly. Uh, but all I could know to do was, you know, offer them scripture. So throughout the day, you know, it wasn't like every hour on the hour or anything, but just throughout the day, every 30 or 45 minutes, um, I would find a verse, you know, the Psalms or some Proverbs, and just send him an encouraging verse, you know, just for him to to read and think about as, you know, his day was going on after I first heard about that. And so, uh, you know, that's a that's something that uh, I've had people do for me in different times where I needed some encouragement and um, was grieving or whatnot. And so it's a good thing to do to offer our prayers, but they, they should be scripture based prayers. So Paul is saying he's, his deliverance is going to be through their prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Um, so, the Philippian church's prayers, the Philippian church's intercessory prayer on behalf of Paul, but then also the spirit of Jesus. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, um, his title for the spirit was the other Jesus. And I think that's a complete, that's completely in line with the purpose of the spirit. Uh, we see in John chapter 16, uh, verses 7 through 15, when it's describing the role of the spirit, um, it says this. It says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I'm going away, for I do not go away, for if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will prove the word wrong concerning sin and the world wrong concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned, I have many more things to say to you, but I cannot. But you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but will speak whatever he hears, and will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me, because he will receive from me what is mine, and I will tell it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what is mine, and I will tell it to you, and will tell it to you. So, you know, we know the role of the Spirit. There's a lot of different things that the Holy Spirit does. You know, God the Father is, is the Father, God the Son is the Son, and then God the Spirit, what is His role? So we know that He's a comforter. He comes alongside us, encourages us, guides us, convicts us. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of C words, you know, convicts us, comforts us. Um, and all these things. But the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring humans into a place of conviction to reveal to them the gospel found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, that's his primary thing, is to draw people to Christ. It's the wooing of the Spirit that we experienced during, you know, while we were saved. The Spirit goes out ahead of the, the message of God and starts wooing people, softening their hearts and drawing them to a place where when they hear the gospel message, they can receive it. And that's the primary goal of the Spirit, to convict people and to woo them to Jesus. So the work of the Spirit is 
um, to bat, you know, to to get people to a place where they're going to hear about the person and work of Jesus, to baptize them into Christ, but then also to work in them to form them in Christ as well. As we're as we're you know on this process of sanctification, to being formed into uh, the likeness of Christ, and so Paul saying, I know that it will turn out for my deliverance, uh, my salvation, through your prayers and the Spirit, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He says, my hope is, this verse 20, my hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, body whether I live or die. So his deliverance is going to be through their prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus. And he's hoping that um, he won't be ashamed. Paul, I think, he wants to preach this message of boldness. And we see in the book of Acts, every time he um, got an opportunity to speak before a king or a ruler of any type, um, the governors or whoever, he did that with boldness. He, he preached a gospel message before them with boldness when he did that. And so I think Paul had this big fear of, you know, not not being bold, not giving a true gospel message when presented with opportunity to do that. Um, I think that should be our fear as well. I think we should always have this nagging feeling to not be ashamed, you know, of our, you know, in ourselves, in the ministry that we do, in the work that we do on behalf of God. Um, another way to look at this is uh, after David defeated Goliath. The Philistines, um, you know, he, he killed Goliath. The Philistines went, and because I think it was Dagon was their god, and they had these little statues to Dagon, they went and threw those in a fire or a ditch or something. They they got rid of their Dagon statues because Dagon had ashamed them. Goliath was like, with the power of Dagon, I'm going to defeat you. And little David is like, well, I have the power of God, so I think I'm thinking a little bit better than your little Dagon. And he took care of the situation. And Dagon had ashamed the Philistines, so they got rid of him. And so I don't think that um, God will shame us. God, we're not going to live our life, a bold life, the way Paul is saying he, he, he has this hope that he will do this. Um, and then God not show up for us. That's not going to happen. God will not shame us. Um, so it's it's kind of looking at it both ways there. And it says, uh, I will be, in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean productive work for me, yet I don't know which I prefer. So Paul is torn between the two. He, he wants to you know, continue on living in the body, living in this flesh, in this world, because he knows it's going to mean, verse 22, productive work for them, and um, there, there, there's going to be some fruit based on him remaining in the body, um, and it's vital for their sake, verse 24, that he remains in the body. But um, he also knows if he does die, he gets to go be with Jesus. And that's a much greater treasure for him. And so 
I don't think Paul is addressing this here specifically uh, when he says that uh, the end of verse 20, where he says that even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether I live or die. I don't think he's addressing this specifically, but a heresy that was starting to arise in the churches was this Gnostic heresy, Gnosticism. Um, the Greek word gnosis is where we get our English word knowledge from. And Gnosticism basically taught that, um, yeah, you believe in Jesus, that's great, but we have this secret knowledge that you're not, you've not been privy to. So until you come and let us teach you this secret knowledge, you're not really going to be saved, saved. And so it was this idea that you had to believe, you know, you had to have this secret knowledge. And part of their big thing for the Gnostics was um, they thought spirit was good and flesh was bad or flesh was evil. So spirit is the only thing that really mattered and matter or flesh didn't really matter at all. There was no eternal anything to that. And two camps arose for the Gnostics out of this. Uh, one camp practiced this spiritual asceticism and they even de like denied themselves physical pleasures and things like that. They would, they would fast for long times just to deny themselves even pleasure from food and things like that. Um, the other camp, the second camp, uh, kind of went the opposite direction with that. They took a more hedonistic approach and their mindset is that, was that you know if the spirit is the only thing that really mattered and the flesh didn't really matter at all, then there's no eternal consequences to fleshly things, then let's live it up. There, there were this idea of this hedonistic idea of, you know, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So Paul gives this perspective here where he's saying, you know, even his body, even in his body, Christ will be exalted. Um, some versions say magnified or glorified. So even in Christ, even in his body, Christ will be exalted in his body, whether he lives or dies. And that was important. I think it's important um, for us to know, for us to really believe in, because our physical body matters. The things that we do in our body matters, not just to us, but to others as well. And so we should be constantly honoring God with our bodies. Um, you know, our body is a temple. First uh, Corinthians six twenty, chapter six verse twenty. First Corinthians says, "For you were bought at a price; therefore, glorify God with your body." We were bought at a price. Um, we should glorify God with our bodies. Um, and so Paul is Paul is saying that you know he is uh, Christ will be exalted in my body whether I live or die. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. This is the penultimate verse of Philippians right here. Our sermon series is to live as Christ, right? This is not just a good Christian coffee mug verse, but this is the verse for the book of Philippians. And this is really a great life verse for, for all of us. Um, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. So Paul knew if he went on living, you know, for him, life is Christ. And the, the Greek is very poetic in how it puts it. Um, zoe, zoe is the term for life. So Zoe Christos. And then uh, death is gain. It's apothenin kurdos. So Zoe Christos, apothenin kurdos. Um, it's very 
it, it, it's rhythmical, it rhymes, it's poetic. And so Paul is saying, if he, if he, for him, life is Christ. Um, we we might answer that question very differently. You know, a lot of people say, you know, I just love to work. You know, I, I, I love to eat. I love to um, play with my kids. Um, you love to go hang out, go camping, whatever it is. You know, like for me, I'm all about the salt life. And even though I think it's ridiculous where we live, you know, 300 miles or 500 miles from any ocean and we have salt life stickers on the backs of our cars. But, you know, people like to fish. They do different things. And so, um, but for us, may it always be said of us that living is Christ. Life is Christ. For us to live, it's all about Jesus. We put him first. We're always um, seeking after him above all else. Um, and also for the Christian, um, especially I think in the Christian in America, um, you know, we, we view death as a very um, bad thing. You know, we, we don't want to die. We go to great lengths to try not to die. Uh, there's been movies made about people that did everything they could not to die. The, I never saw it, but it's like 127 hours or whatever that movie is where the guy's out hiking and he slips somehow, gets his arm caught in between two boulders, literally between a rock and a hard place. And over time, he decides, I'm going to cut my arm off. And he cuts his own arm off just to live, which, you know, survival stories are all always very inspiring. I'm not knocking the guy for doing that. But I'm just saying, we go to great lengths to try to preserve life, especially our own life. Um, but for Paul's perspective, and I think it should be our, our perspective as well, dying is gain because we get to go and be with Jesus. We get to be with Jesus immediately um, in heaven with Christ. So living is Christ, dying is Christ, dying is gain. We gain because we get to go and spend time with Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, there's a Westminster Catechism. Uh, catechism is basically a way to um, learn precepts or truths of Christianity. And the Westminster Catechism, the first question it asks, it says, what is the chief end of man? Right? And I think that's a question that we want to ask ourselves a lot sometimes too. Like, what is the purpose of life? What is the chief end of man? And the answer the Westminster Catechism gives is, to glory, the chief in a man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, John Piper changes that answer uh, very slightly, um, but he changes it to the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. So we glorify God by enjoying Him forever, not um, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, but we, we glorify God by enjoying Him. The way I glorify my wife is by enjoying her, by putting her needs above my own. Um, if I want to take her out to dinner and say, babe, get dressed up. I got a babysitter. I want to take you to dinner t tonight or Saturday or whatever. Um, then she's going to be honored by that, uh, even though that might be a selfish thing on my part because I want to go and spend time with her and treat her well. And I get a lot of joy 
and pleasure out of being with her, that is still a good pursuit, right? And she knows that that's a good pursuit for her as well. And so it's the same with God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, when we, when we glorify him the most. So the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever or by enjoying him forever, I think is maybe a better way to put it. And that's how, that's how John Piper puts it. Um, so God is most glorified in us and Christ is most magnified in us or exalted in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we seek our ultimate satisfaction in Jesus, then God is going to be most satisfied with us and who we are. So um, the, I guess the term for that is Christian hedonism. And that's kind of a weird thing to think about. but um, And that's a term John Piper quoted as well. So Christian hedonism claims that the Christian life should be the pursuit of maximum joy in God. And that's a worthy pursuit. And so the rest is just really just Paul talking about, you know, his desire being torn between these two. Uh, verse 22, if I am to go on living in this body, it will mean productive work for me. Yet I don't know which I prefer. I'm torn between the two because I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more, more vital for your sake that I remain in the body. And he says, uh, and since I'm sure of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for the sake of your progress and joy in the faith. So Paul continues in the body. It's going to be better for them. Um, it's going to mean productive work for Paul. And it's going to mean that he's going to um, be able to continue with them in the sake of their progress and their joy and faith. And he says, so that what may be, what, verse 26, so that what you can be proud of may increase because of me in Christ Jesus when I come back to you. Uh, one thing I do want to point out here in verse 23 says, I feel torn between the two because I have a desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far. That word depart is, um, it was a nautical term, and it meant like when you, when you set the moorings loose on a boat for it to go out to sea. And um, the, the actual word for that is analuo, or um, ana meaning from or away, um, and luo is like loose. We get we get our word loose from that. So it's to break free from. We get our word, our English word analysis from this. Analysis is in its you know, most basic sense, it's like taking a watch apart and examining all the different parts of it and kind of seeing how that thing works. So we take it apart and we look and we analyze and we see how that thing's work. And then the opposite of that would be synthesis and putting it all back together. So there was a concept for death in this that uh, when you died, your loved ones would put you on a boat, um, metaphorical boat, but they would put you on this boat and they would set you out and say goodbye to you. And then on the other side of that sea of death, I guess, on the other side of that, um, there were those that would welcome you and say hello to you. So as we were saying goodbye to loved ones, there's others on the other side that are welcoming and saying hello. Um, more than loved ones on the other side, the thing that Paul looked forward to the most 
about getting to heaven is, is Christ, is being there with Jesus, living as Christ, dying as gain. So this death would be a gain for Paul. Um, for our honeymoon, Carol and I took a cruise. Um, we got married on a Saturday, and cruises don't leave on Sundays, so we had to wait a week for the next Saturday to go on our cruise. Um, in that time, uh, it comes out of nowhere sometimes. In that time, her mom had had been over here for six months visiting, and her mom was scheduled to go home that Wednesday. So it worked out well for us to wait a week because we get, got to say goodbye to her mom and everything. Um, and that man dropping her off at the airport um, was, you know, it was very difficult for my wife. Um, but I didn't realize how difficult it was going to be for me as well because we didn't know when we might see her mom again, or we still haven't seen her in person since then. Um, but, you know, it was a very difficult thing. So that happened on Wednesday. Now, the Monday night before that, so the Monday after our wedding, uh, my grandma passed away. And so that was a, kind of like a, a weird situation as well. Um, I, I, I had to leave our apartment where Karen and I were living and go where I was working and drop some stuff off. And this was about seven or eight at night. And um, heading back, I was like, I wonder how grandma's doing. Let me call my mom. So I tried to call my mom and she didn't answer. I was like, she feels something's weird about this. So I tried to call my sister. My sister didn't answer. And then um, shortly thereafter, my mom called me back and I said, Grandma's dead, isn't she? And she said, Yeah, she just died. I just got off the phone with your sister. I was like, Yeah, that's what I figured. I don't know why I had that feeling, but it's just like, you know, one of those things like you hear people having situations like that and I never had experienced it before that but it's just one of those things and so it was a very difficult week for us to top it all off when we get down to Galveston to get on this cruise there was a bunch of fog that had rolled in we got married in December or in January so a bunch of fog was in uh, the Gulf of Mexico so we weren't able to get on the boat until Sunday evening so we're supposed to leave Saturday morning didn't get on the boat till Sunday evening. And, uh, and so we finally got on the boat. It was like, we could just exhale and just breathe and just be like, you know, this is what, a, what a week, you know, my grandma, you know, this wedding that was very intense, just preparing for that and everything else. And then my grandma and then her mom leaving. And I think that Thursday was my grandma's funeral. And then finally we get down to Galveston and, can't even leave because there's fog in the the boat couldn't even come a sh come come short come to port um so we the people that were on the cruise previously couldn't even get off so we couldn't get on the boat so ship sorry those are ships i was told that a lot while i was on that boat or ship so when we finally got on there we were we were just relaxing we were going around checking out the boat had dinner went back and looked around the boat some more. And as it took off, we just kind of stayed up on top and just kind of watched as the lights in Galveston kind of disappeared into the night. Then we went to bed and the next morning we woke up to beautiful Caribbean sea, beautiful, like clear water. And, you know, we had breakfast kind of on a lower part of the boat where like the waves were like coming up right next to our window um, where we were sitting. Um, and then we went up on the front of the boat to this little place that had these little clamshell things. We're sitting there, and it was just this beautiful view. It was this beautiful experience just to see just the beauty of the ocean. And, and you know, I, I was just, it was breathtaking. It was amazing. But um, 
you know, when we depart from this world and wake up in heaven, we're not going to have the beauty of the Caribbean, but we're going to be woken up to the beauty of the Galilean, the Jesus, right? That's going to be the, the beauty that we see there. And it's going to be way more incredible than anything we experience here. Um, it's, it's a, it's, it'll be a view that is worth all the treasure in the world. So truly, dying is gain. And um, that, should be, that should be our outlook. That should be the way we should um, approach life. Um, and I think having that perspective will give us the boldness we need to speak and to say what we need to say when given the opportunity. The life that we live now in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God. Sorry, I know I have it in a different version than the way I memorized it, so I want to get it right. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So we live by faith um, through the Son of God as He loved us and gave Himself for us. How much more should we live for Him? And how much more should we view death as an opportunity to serve Him more? It's going to be a great experience when we finally make it to heaven. It's going to be a great, um, great thing. And I hope to, hope to spend heaven with you guys. Um, so if, uh, I don't, I don't often offer a very formal plea to, to get saved. I'm, I probably should. I'm I'm probably looking around probably 95% sure everyone in this room is a believer, but, um, if you need to get saved, I would encourage you to do that. Um, you know, I said weeks ago, there's there's two kinds of people in the world, the saved and the unsaved. And the unsaved need to get saved and the saved need to serve. So if you're not saved, you need to get saved. Um, and we, we will talk with you about that. Um, it's very simple. Uh, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And we have a great Savior if you will just uh, receive Him. Uh, but if you are um, if you are, are saved and there's you know anything you're struggling with or need prayer for or whatever, um, you can find me during the song or just at the end of the service. Um, talk with me. Uh, we'd love to love to help encourage you and come alongside you as a church for that. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's perspective on life and death. Lord, I pray that we can have that same perspective where we view our life as being for you. Even in in suffering, Lord, you give us opportunities to serve you. Um, even in times of suffering and trouble, things that you know maybe were meant for bad by people of this world, uh, but you can use them for your glory and your honor. And our edification. And so I pray that you will use us in that way, Lord. Help us to be satisfied in you. Help us to find our joy in you. Help us to serve you and worship you and glorify you with our bodies and by enjoying you. 
We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name.